Hey gang, welcome to episode 112 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. We've got uh, a multi-layered show for you today, a multi-layered show. Uh, our main guests are uh, the Davidsons, who uh, that is Jason and Kevin, who are the the couple at the heart of Nocturnal Fandango, that's the company that produced uh, Have You Seen Jake uh, sort of last year into this year. That was their first season. Uh, and this uh, season, uh, the piece is called uh, The Sudden Loneliness Gift, uh, which centers around um, centers around uh, Jason, the character of Jason, um, like I said, multi-layered. Uh, who is um, experiencing some um, some interesting effects uh, in the wake of a sudden loss? We'll get into that and and the whole frame of that in a little bit here, um, uh, because yeah, we will we will do that. We will get into that in a second. But we also are going to check in with our friends at Think Tank Gallery namely Jacob Patterson. Uh, we're going to do that in a minute because uh, they've got a show coming up. Uh, starts this weekend, uh, Drinking, Smoking, and West Coastin', um, which, which itself is multi-layered. Uh, we're, going in, we're going to some strange places today. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a technodelic that I experienced. So if you like alternate realities altering your perceptions and going down some strange pathways, um, then this is a no proscenium for you. But first, a card trick. Um, first up, <laughs> I can't even remember where that's from. It's just this thing I heard once a long time ago. First up, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Future of Immersive Leisure Conference in Las Vegas. Remember, that conference is covering virtual reality, augmented reality, and 40 in location-based entertainment, September 13th through 14th at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. If you are in the industry, if you want to hobnob with folks who are doing the technological side of our wonderful immersive world, then uh, I think that uh, going to Vegas, uh, not a bad idea, not a bad idea. And if you need a little help with that, we've got a 20% discount code. Uh, it's very simple. It's no proscenium. We try, we try to make it easy for you on that one. Uh, so there you go. That's what's happening there. Uh, next week on the show actually is, uh, the, the, the founder of, uh, the conference, uh, who I had a wonderful discussion with. So, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, we had a wonderful discussion, um, which, which sadly was like done out of doors. So the audio quality is not the best. And then we spent the next like three hours chatting at the bar. Uh, getting stories. So uh, this this is like a vertical slice a bit of, uh, well, not a vertical, that's the wrong term. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. Look, we got some more housekeeping to do here. Uh, don't let me get off track. Let that happen at the end. Patreon. We do this Patreon thing, and I need to thank, uh, big time, need to thank 
uh, our latest two backers, Julia Ritter and Troy Hurd, both of whom uh, have jumped in, uh, saving our skins from ourselves. Uh, It is no joke. Uh, The Patreon is very important to us. Uh, in fact, if everyone who listened to this show gave five dollars, um, I could I could do all this immersive stuff all the time uh, and and do nothing else. So think about that. Think about that. Five dollars a month, freeing this madman up to do what he does best. Just just I want you to think about it. I think about it all the time. <laughs> Patreon.com slash no presidium. Make the dream. Save the rebellion. Save the dream. Yeah, there you go. There's your Star Wars reference drink. Um, okay. Now, before we get into our main event, let's check in with Jacob Patterson of Think Tank, recorded at the Think Tank Gallery Studio. And uh, let's just, we'll go do some talking. Jacob, here we are back again in the Think Tank podcast. We can call it the Think Tank podcast studio. We can. It's, it's, I mean, technically, we are renting, Think Tank is renting 939 studio from ourselves at the moment. The things we do in Los Angeles to make art happen. (laughs) But that's, that's not what we're talking about. We, we, we will do that at some point, but that's, that's not what we're doing right now. You guys have a show. Think Tank is triumphantly returning to its own home. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it. It kind of it is part of the story because it's a it's a homecoming, and we're making a show about our home. So there is our physical home that we're currently sitting in right now, in these chairs, in this podcast studio, and then there's the home of LA that Think Tank feels like we owe. Personally, I feel like we owe a lot to the city of LA. So we we made it. We're calling it a group love hate letter to LA, and we've invited a bunch of different artists to give their rendition on that theme and we've invited a bunch of different producers to give their own you know addition of a some kind of performance show party whatever they want to throw um within the theme of drink and smoke in a west coast in now the now the show tonight's a media preview some people are are still kind of like trickling out of that at the moment you can probably hear the music and people drinking beer and smoking weed on the other side of this wall right now indeed I believe that is exactly what's happening. Well, not this wall, but there's another wall. There's like a wall. Two walls away. Two walls away. Two walls away. You might you listen close. You might be able to hear that. Um, the uh, but the show, everyone's going to go. Is Noah high? It's like no. No, Noah's. Well, you I'm are so, high, but you're not high on any sort of substance. No, I did like a I did like a techno like thing. They'll, they'll they'll probably hear that. Yeah, I'll talk about that maybe at the end of this show. You yeah, are the yeah. chillest of. Like, you were the most zen of all the people who were here smoking weed. You walked in, like, the most... Like, you had a presence to you. You had an, you were putting off an aura of, like, I just experienced something, and y'all motherfuckers don't even know what, what it was. Yeah, I, I did a technodelic tonight, but that's 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 another thing altogether that I'll talk about later on in the show, because we'll, we'll run it this week. But, so, drinking, smoking in West Coastin. Yeah. Uh, the West Coastin part, in, in particular, I, I like, is, is represented uh, by Roscoe's. Uh, as in Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, who yeah. are doing a breakfast. One they're doing day? a couple I, different things. They're doing yeah. on opening night, which is Saturday. They're doing a chicken and beer combo, which they themed after the Ludacris song, which isn't West Coast, but Roscoe's is. Hey, first time I ever saw Luda, he was sitting in the back of uh, uh, the Pancake Place, the really famous one <laughs> over on um, 
over on Sunset. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Like, and he had the little booth to himself with his posse, and Ludo was just getting some pancakes. <laughs> it's so funny because I've had so many conversations about waffles in this last month because people were <laughs> brought up like, what's his name? Fucking Hot Rays or something like that. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the just hot raised chicken. Yeah, hot chicken's a thing now, but this is Roscoe's, which is like the original yes. chicken and waffles. When people talk about chicken and waffles, yeah, it's like your it's this how you get your LA card. Like I couldn't Seriously. believe that they said they would do this, and then we were shocked. like, okay, so the morning after opening night, can we do brunchies like wake and bake with Roscoe's? And we were like, there's no way they're gonna say yes, and they were like, we're owned by Snoop Dogg, like of course. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing it I didn't know Snoop on them that's cool I mean kind of it's like yeah. a weird partial he like saved them somehow I don't know what the ownership looks he's an, like he's an, he's an investor yeah but so it's can, something like that yeah. Yeah. that's good Snoop keeping Roscoe's alive yeah indeed yeah. I, I once got um, I got I got uh, I got spoken to harshly because I, I folded my feet up underneath and I was told like, oh, you know, get your shoes off my off my bench <laughs> sorry 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 I was like I moved back to that one. There's a couple others. That was the original one, and I felt bad. And I was like, oh, look at this white boy, like, being his hippie-ass self, like, taking advantage here. I got scolded. I knew, and I should have known better. I was in a proper establishment. You don't put your shoes on the bench when you're doing that. But that's, that's so I'm, I'm trying to give everyone the vibe that they should come, or they will they will have, as you because I've just got it already, because I'm sticking my face into weird things where it doesn't belong. Uh, that's the subtitle for this entire show. Uh, I mean, the whole show. Um, but what for the immersive kids out there? Uh, what is it that they might? Because that's a beautiful thing about what you guys do. Is because you got the art, you've got these, you'll have the parties, and you always leave some room uh, open uh, in in the in the space for some just experiential yeah, stuff. So yeah. what do you got going on there? I'm pretty excited about this one because this time this is more of like going back to our original roots of like just throw a big ass show put hella artists in it i think we have 127 or something like that artists so we haven't like this is a media preview night right now but it's hard for media to write about just like a really big group show themed around la like what's the story there so there hasn't been as much press but there's still there's more rsvps than ever we've ever had so it's it's just reputation you guys have Built up. I guess so. Well, it's also our homecoming coming back to the space, so I think people are excited about that because all the you know, chutzpah about the the departure from our space. But in any case, so for us there was there was that. But I was like, you know what? I've spent so much time exploring what this space is capable of, and allowing as a producer, allowing directors to come in and explore what the space is capable of. I don't want to lose that, and so when. You know, we spent whatever these last six months as 939 Studio renting out for like just random parties and like like bar mitzvahs and shit like that. And I have to rent the place from myself now to do an art show and where we used to live here and I could use the space for free. I just had to like mark the time on the calendar. Now we're back here. And what that means is because Think Tank is back at 939 Maple Avenue, immersive theater can be back at 939 Maple Avenue and immersive entertainment and there's a bunch of different shit going on there's I mean it was one of the the first place I looked was the everything immersive Facebook group and then I think I sent out you know a blast on the the uh, email list that you've put together for you know people who are more on the production side yeah. of this shit formerly the brain trust and now yeah, the now, the trust. La- now the Leia list since we, we Leia are finally list, openly yeah. talking yeah, about Leia it. List. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so we 
and I got some great responses. So Annie Lesser's doing a show, Matt Dorado's doing a show, Order of Billet, the, um, Jeff, who is here tonight, is doing a show. Um, we've got... That um, makes me so happy. Yeah, Tommy's doing an escape room, actually, for Stash, he's, for he's, Stash House. Yeah, yeah. Tommy Haunted. Which is funny, because we just did Trap House, which yeah. was kind of like a drug dealer den kind of thing, but his is a lot more formal. And Tom, And then I'm like, then I meet someone like Tommy, and I'm like, that's how you do an escape room. Like, this is the kind of guy whose brain knows how to do an escape room. Oh, he does. Yeah. He does. His is going to be really cool. So the show's called Drink and Smoking in West Coastin', and we're splitting the rooms up into drinking, smoking, and general West Coasting rooms, and we're splitting the calendar up into drink and smoking and general West Coasting nights. So those are like the sober nights. Mm. So, and the drinking nights are much harder, by the way. Smoking nights, super fucking easy. But, <laughs> um, so what... Why? <laughs> Why is that so much easier? Because they haven't made the laws yet. So, um, <laughs> Oh, there's that. Well, yeah, that's a big reason start. why. Yeah, I mean, let's hope that we don't cause any problems by talking <laughs> openly about it. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be really good. And we're we, the laws that do exist, we're definitely following them. So what's been really interesting is like, Tommy, he, he comes in, he says, okay, so... We want to do an escape room. Tommy's, um, I believe, the mastermind behind that business card that everyone was talking about. That was like an escape room and a business card. You had to fold it a bunch of different ways. And I think he unveiled it at like Scare LA or Midsummer Scream or something like that. Mm. And it was like an escape room in the form of a business card. And you had to destroy it in order to solve the puzzles, essentially. And a lot of people were really interested in the immersive scene. Um, people loved it so much that they put it back together, photocopied it, printed it, and then gave it to their friends. When's the last time you made a flyer that someone ripped up, put back together, reproduced, and gave to their friends? That's the kind of mind that Tommy has to produce shit like that. Yeah. So he's coming in here and he's doing... Give me one of those. (laughs) Damn. I think you had to be there, man. Um, So he's doing an escape room here, which is his stash house, which is like a um, K-Town, like, you know, like drug den, essentially. And I think it's in K-Town, actually. Yeah, there's an act, he's, he's working on the actual... Yeah. You know, this, so this will be a pop-up of... Mm-hmm. To promote it. To promote his, his upcoming... So he's doing a, a three-day escape room, uh, like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night or something like that, where there's a drinking theme night, a smoking theme night, and a general West Coast and theme night. And nice. it's like drug deals that you have to participate in, in the format of an escape room, um, in like a, some shady backroom K-Town liquor store. Which is going to be really cool. And it's funny because his antagonist, protagonist, I don't know which one. I guess you don't know until you do it. Is named Ray. And the artist who built our liquor store is named Ray. And the liquor store is named Ray Mart. And it's the most immersive part of our show. So it kind of all fit together. It was like serendipity. That's fantastic. It all it all comes together in the strangest way as possible. That's, yeah. that's how you know That's how you know things are flowing. Yeah. That's when you know things are flowing. What else can they look forward to? Well, Matt's show is going to be really cool. Drunken Devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Gerardo. Um, He's doing a show called To Live and Dine in L.A. And he did a show at 939 Studio, rented from 939 Studio, that um, was just a big, crazy party and, you know, ended with some ruckus. And <clears throat> the next thing he decided, I think he's doing some little brunch thing um, in yeah. between, um, like deviled eggs or something like that. Is what yeah, it's there's called. like a burlesque brunch that he's doing. Yeah, yeah. which uh, will be really cool. And we talked right after his show about doing like some more crazy, intimate experience that's like top shelf, essentially. Yeah. And so he's doing this like top shelf haunt experience that's like, I think it's like limited to like 40 seats or something like that like really well low. it's, it's going to be a dinner so it's a yeah. dinner party supper club serves. experience yeah. like immersive like experiential supper club kind of thing yeah. and you sit down with four of the most famous um murder mystery cases like like serial killer type cases in la and la history 
And it's it's. I was just talking to Jeff about it here from Order of Billeth, um, or however you say that final word, Billeth, whatever that is. Um, I was just talking to Jeff about it, and I was like, how many times has someone said, if you could sit at a dinner table with anyone and talk to them just like over the course of a dinner, who would you pick? And Matt was like, I'll just make the fucking dinner. Like, wouldn't you love to sit down with someone from the Manson family with the Beach Boys playing and talk to him about all or him or her about all the experiences that they had through this like crazy serial killing spree with the Beach Boys involved and all this crazy shit through like L.A. folklore of people who are obsessed with this like haunted shit or this this horrific stuff. Matt is obsessed with that stuff and he's recreating that dinner and people are going to be able to sit down at it and then sit at another dinner with the Black Dahlia and sit at another, like four different dinners through LA's history of horror and terror essentially which Matt that's what he does best so that one's going to be really fun yeah sounds like you guys have all kinds of surprises in store as the so it's like a month long show mm-hmm. August into September yep Opening Saturday, Any Lesser's doing it, um, her E for Elevator, which I'm really excited to see what she pulls out there. She's kind of keeping that one close to the chest, but that'll she be does, really good. Yeah, yeah that's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Jacob, thank you for the rundown on drinking, smoking, and West Coasting. Mm-hmm. And uh, folks, check the calendar and see which ones are open and which ones call to you, because... It's always there's always a new mystery, and every time you, if you come to any of this stuff, you will see the the art show. That's just mm-hmm. always here when you, when you come through. Mm-hmm. time. So, thanks right. for coming, Noah. Oh, and thanks for thanks for thanks for firing up the old podcast studio. It <laughs> feels good to be back here. It's been a minute. It's a little messy in here right now, but uh, uh, try, it's been weird. It feels better with you in it. Ah, feels good to do this show. Once again, I want to thank Jacob for being on the show. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting run there uh, for for this particular production. Things are things are getting getting crazy. <laughs> oh man, um, it was it was a trip. Uh, the arts really really dope and uh, I, mean, I don't say that because like Jacob's a friend and whatnot no there were some pieces I was like oh I wish I had the money for that art shows you know like oh, wow this picture is cool my god is um is two months salary um but that's what the experiences are for and it's so glad to have the think tank uh running and you know we we are we are inexorably linked Right down to our logo, Dino Nama, who is uh, one of the creative leads of the Think Tank crew. Uh, you know, he's he's the guy who did our logo. I mean, we we owe a lot to the boys down there, uh, and the ladies um, as well. I mostly talk with the boys. What does that say about me? Um, all of my all of my female friends who I spend most of my time with are like, "What are you talking about, you idiot?" Um, hey, uh, the next segment of the show. I promised you a multi-layered show this time. I'm giving you a multi-layered show. So, um, here's, here's what you need to know going into the following. This is, this is what I'm going to tell you. So this season of Nocturnal Fandango's work is called the sudden loneliness gift. Now, the sudden loneliness gift is uh, 
it's it's started in terms of like process. I'm not gonna tell you the story quite yet. I'll tell you the story in a second. Uh, it's it's been a series of pop ups, and it's it's also been what they've did in the past, which is a lot of stuff in the Slack, the forum that they have uh, puzzles on Instagram. Uh, they're discussed on the Slack forum. Phone calls in the middle of the night uh, to participants. Um, carrying a, a long-standing tradition, I they always call me when I'm out at a bar with a friend. Uh, I am not one of those people who will, will drop everything to answer one of those calls uh, from from anyone. You know that does not make them happy. It doesn't make anybody happy. Uh, but it also won't make my friends who I'm being present with happy if I go and take a phone call while, while we're out. This literally happened last night. I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure. And then they call me back because they really want to talk to me. And I want to talk to them too. But if I'm out with you, I will be with you and and like no one else because my interest is presence. My interest is the moment and being there. Um, the following interview. Um, so So here's a big thing you need to know. Um, in the world of the sudden loneliness gift, which we are now in, um, Jason Davidson has suffered a a great loss in that Kevin, his husband, who is is truly a a wonderful person, um, has passed, uh, in, in a, died in a fire, um, which bears some haunting echoes to, the circumstances of have you seen Jake and some of the things that happened in the history of, of that show. Um, Jason appears to be undergoing some, some unusual effects of grief um, in the story as it's unfolded. Uh, There was uh, the second event was a memorial service for Kevin and what some people picked up on, although I was not one of those people, uh, was that Jason was starting to forget people who he's known for a very long time, or at least known for a very long time in the context of, of the shows. Um, the theme of forgetfulness was something that was pretty important in the Have You Seen Jake arc. Uh, and indeed, this episode of, of, of this interview that you're, you're about to hear uh, had... Uh, takes place not too long after the conclusion of Have You Seen Jake? And before the sudden loneliness gift began. Um, and that is why it is between both Kevin and Jason. Uh, because uh, as as the world of the sudden loneliness gift stands now, that would not be possible. Um, that would require time travel or something. Um, so an archive episode, an archived interview that we've been holding on to, um, because Jason hasn't been able to process this so well and still seems to be not, not having an easy time of it. But as we approach therapy and dreams, as we approach a breakthrough, uh, in this, the, the story of the sudden loneliness gift, um, Jason is comfortable with us revisiting uh, this moment before everything fell apart. And on that note, welcome to The Sudden Loneliness Gift, and welcome to uh, a really nice interview about Have You Seen Jake, about Nocturnal Fandango as a company, 
and about some of the, the broader themes and issues uh, that they grapple with as artists in this episode of No Persinium. Here we go. Well, I'm here at the kitchen table with the Davidsons. That would be Jason and Kevin, uh, who are the the couple at the center of the creative team of Nocturnal Fandango. Last time we met, we were at a think tank gallery. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I think there was testicles or something. There, yeah, there was. Well, we're right in it. Yes, there were. You, there were. Uh, it was after their. Uh, they had, it was the Pornbot show or whatever it was. That's right. And I was only a tacit participant. You were in the corner being quiet. Correct. I uh, did some waving and nonverbal. <laughs> contributions <laughs> there, there were more than that if you if you listen closely to that one and i know people have listened very closely to that one you can probably hear little gaps where people are taking cues from jason so go back and listen again i'm saying the right thing um still our most downloaded episode um still like uh like wow. like uh, yeah it was, it was interesting um because it's it's funny because it's such a it, it, at the at the heart of it all um, in a great way, it's this—it's it's a tiny show with a certain carrying capacity, mm-hmm. and yet massive amounts of interest mm-hmm. in what you guys are doing. So, what I wanted to do here was kind of get into some of the lessons learned from this first season mm-hmm. that y'all put together and start looking looking ahead. Sure. So, I mean, what would what would you feel like, particularly after doing the overnight and everything? Mm-hmm. What's what's the number one thing? kind of coming off of Jake that you feel like you've taken? You know, Jason's already back to the hand motions. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, I've got this, i got no, this. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I think, I, I, I mean, I'll start with sort of a, a kind of a personal answer to, the, to that question in that I think it's funny for me that in a lot of ways the underpinnings of Jake as a season, the show was really about grief. And I really walked away from the final show yesterday, today, and tomorrow very much going through kind of my own grieving process of having gone through this, you know, process of labor and birth and Mm. and then sort of watching the show grow up and going through the experience with this, this family of incredibly invested audience members. And I think perhaps I underestimated, you know, my own grieving process as, as a creator once, you know, once the show ended. When you guys kind of come from the forensics Mm -hmm. part of the dramatic Mm -hmm. world Mm -hmm. and like, and hadn't done a lot, if if any, theater theater. And like one of the normal mm-hmm. things in theater theater is like you become a family with your mm-hmm. cast, and a cast party is is half birthday party, half wake. Mm-hmm. You know, and like the and the opening night party is amazing, and the closing night party has like an entirely different, different time, yeah. even more charged yeah. Bacchanalian yeah. uh, vibe mm-hmm. to it. So and I, I think because we do come from sort of the educational background of working with high school students, there's a natural course to that relationship. And Kevin and I have had many students that we've had for three or four years, but you always know this student's going to graduate and then we're going to hear from them for years afterwards and, you know, get to kind of follow them, the excitement through their college career and into their, you know, into their big adult lives. And I think it's going through this process was very different that it was sort of six months of really high octane, emotional, logistical, physical intensity and then it was over and so I think for me I've really worked to resolve maybe sometimes to Kevin's chagrin of of really going 
full speed in terms of planning for season two and I've been doing a lot of writing and a lot of uh, sort of character narrative thematic and world building for season two um, maybe quicker even than, though I think not to I, and honestly like I, I mean, we were just talking about the emotion of it and I, I don't know that we've ever shared this story but um, ironically it ended with a wake mm-hmm. um, and we ended up the next that morning kind of the, the last show day um, we, we had the wake and then we were tearing down and Jason and I took a walk along the river to go find what had been buried the night before in the forest mm-hmm. that people were digging up and because we'd left some stuff kind of secretly out there and so we had to go gather up our remaining things um, and I broke down in tears on the walk mm-hmm. and it was like this m- intense rush of emotion that I to- totally came out of nowhere for me and I, I think it was that day that I was like can we just take a break? I just need like six months of doing nothing, not planning anything, not having you write. Not no, instead, you're right back in it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I gave you like, so we're, a couple we're weeks. three weeks out. Yeah. So yeah. I, we're good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple of inter- really interesting things about the approach, sort of the path you've set yourselves upon. Um, because there's kind of a, there's a full toolbox that y'all have um, that you play with, going from influences of, of some of the extreme horror stuff, mm-hmm. all, and, and then all the way down to just like the psychological techniques that mm-hmm. you, you use in your, your day job, which mm-hmm. is like you know, coaching people to be better bedside manner doctors, mm-hmm. right? So there's this really... More efficient and yeah. more compassionate humans. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's really wide. And those things can even feel like they're like diametrically opposed, mm-hmm. right? So, but one of the things, probably, maybe even in some ways the most, one of the most controversial things is the idea of like the calibration, yeah. right? And we could, we could see in the way that people talk about the show because things are... Particularly in you know in the solo experiences, things are calibrated for people based on sort of their I don't want to say thresholds, mm-hmm. but like their their interests mm-hmm. in terms of certain types of content. How has that worked out? How are you approaching that? And are you are you looking at going forward? You know, fine tuning that mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. and 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 then dealing with you know. When people talk about their individual experiences, there's such there's such a variety, yeah. uh, which you know isn't necessarily something that's not inherent to all of the work, mm-hmm. like that everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. Like everyone always points out, like oh, you know, like you get the bar afterwards, uh, you know, in in like you know sleep no more, like after then she fell, you, you run out and like everyone trades notes on what track they had. Sure. But this, some of the stuff that you guys have is like these linear possessions, but like the content changes based mm-hmm. on based on the individual, that sort of mm-hmm. feedback. So, I don't know. It's funny. There's there's like seventeen questions, so it's just sort yeah. of like all topic. No, Boom. It's, a, it's a great topic. Yeah. yeah, and it's one I think we continue to rehash and mull over and, and, and use on all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, this idea that the power of touch is so intrinsic to immersive theater as a genre. Mm-hmm. And I think we really want to continue to explore this idea that in addition to, you know, the fear inducing or the intensity of touch that is inspired by kind of the extreme horror 
genre, horror genre, that in addition to that, this idea of comforting touch and, you know, touch that is warm and reassuring or evocative is just as important. And so when we when we look at those two sides, I think as we move into season two and we're looking at the <clears throat> the construction of season two, I think it's this idea that most audience members, when they join us, are coming in at, in at kind of a baseline. And that if I learned anything as sort of the showrunner for Jake, it's that, you know, we have to be very, very mindful of preconceived notions that, you know, maybe our initial assessments of someone based on gender or size or interests or how they communicate online, that's not necessarily indicative of what their interest level is mm. and how far they do or do not want to be pushed physically. And for us, like, intense physical touch is always a seasoning. It's, it's always additive mm. to a particular narrative beat or to a tone that we're setting, or to you know, sort of a greater theme that we want to speak to. It, it's never the, it's never the thrust of yeah. any partic- particular narrative. I mean, you guys literally talk about a spiciness level. Yeah. I remember yeah. you had the talk back. Uh, Jerome, spicy level ten. <laughs> there was spicy level ten. Jerome says because there's spicy level negative one. Right. right? right. Yeah. yeah. You know. And for 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 Jerome, there will be. You know. Yeah. And I, I yeah. think that's that's part of it. Is I think we've got to figure out how to bring. You know, and, and maybe that's where we take a lot of joy in the experience for us is because part of our immersion is then figuring out how to adapt and how to be creative and not just rely on sort of device. Right. Which I think sometimes that like extreme horror kind of heavy physical aggression can just more be like something people build a whole show around as opposed to it being just a maybe an add-on, a, a flavoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, even beyond that, I, like I think we do, you know, as we think about, you know, in, in Jake, there was such a wide range of stuff we brought forward. You know, there was music, there was um, art, um, poetry, um, the sort of immersive improvisational work that we did. We had some things that were really zany and whimsical. You know, we've tried to always keep these sort of variations. And I think about um, one of our favorite chefs is um, Grant Ashutz, who uh, has the restaurant Alinea in Chicago and he he's all about sort of if you're going to get through these multi-course like really long meal experiences you have to have variations of sweet and salty and savory and all and hot and cold yeah. and texture in the mouth it's, and, it's like and, in a film you want variations of tone a exactly. lot of problems with American films these days is that it's just the same tone for an hour and a half or yeah. two or two and a half hours two exactly. and a half hours of the same tone yep. is exhausting yeah. exactly it's completely no, exactly. exhausting you know I, I think about you know I mean trauma you know we fondly refer to him or the audience refers to him as, as boss man, but sort of this idea of, you know, trauma personified as a character. And, you know, when we think about intense physicality, one of my personal favorite boss man scenes from the final show a few weeks ago, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, was a scene with an audience member who will remain unnamed. I'm not going to break your confidence, <laughs> but this audience member is very clear to us. Uh, you know, she's a great communicator in terms of, you know, being restrained, being, you know, heavy touch really pulls her pulls her out of an experience. And boss man had sort of kept a log of all the things she didn't like throughout mm-hmm. the course of the season. And boss man just sort of kept all of those in his back pocket and he lied down with her and, and was next to her and caressed her head and shared with her 
the list of all the things that she didn't like and what that meant about her hmm. and how that tied into her narrative and of course what was you know soon to be right was the fact that she was then headed off to realize that you know this person she had been looking for she had actually forgotten and that and that he had passed and you know i remember at the at the close of that scene i was like here is such a good example of you know through the use of a, a well-set scene and through the use of that that connection that that character had with that audience member we didn't need any intense physical touch you know where's where's the where's the line for you in terms of the sort of the psychological responsibility here right because mm -hmm. going going there with folks mm -hmm. and there's in my mind i can see there's a danger of letting letting the cart lead the horse mm -hmm. as it were like people maybe going farther afield than maybe they should mm -hmm. kind of the eager and signaling that they're very eager but mm -hmm. maybe it's not the best thing for for them and maybe it's not the best thing mm -hmm. for, for you guys so mm -hmm. like when like how do you guys think about that line because there's a value in there's a value in this stuff I'm, I'm always I'm trying always try to be careful about this right because one of the things that I think is really interesting I think I may have even wrote about it was or at least I know I talked about it with people um, up there in Idlewild um, when I was younger I, I envisioned sort of a, a return of the initiatory ordeal mm -hmm. for uh, young people entering adulthood. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I found that was interesting about, particularly the, the final weekend of Jake, was that it was like an initiation, or initiation to a community of grief. I think that might actually be something mm -hmm. I wrote. Um, this, this idea of a process, this idea that there used to be these mystery cults that would like lead people through symbolic encounters mm -hmm. with principles. And then at the other end of it, you had sort of processed through those emotions as a, as a religious experience. Sure. When we think about like, you know, ecstatic religious experiences, that sure. sort of stuff still yeah. happens. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> not that this is a cult, but like in, in and it's particularly ironic given like, you know, the, the storyline of like half of the alternate reality things you find out there is like there's this cult that appears out of nowhere. Yeah, right. But the <laughs> exactly. functions that's getting a little tired by the way. But the but the <laughs> functions of the emotional functions of a religion, the emotional functions right. of theater, these things are intrinsically tied up with each other mm -hmm. and always have been. Mm -hmm. And here you guys are, you know, uh, meddling with magics, maybe not meant for mortals. You know, I, I think it's I think it's an important point, and it's you know it's one that I don't have a perfect answer to, but I know that we have um, we have clear intention from where we come from, and I think that sort of our position is that we have to know what our role is. And our role is to create an experience and an ongoing immersive experience for folks that is evocative, that is challenging, that makes them question their own place in the world and how they relate to others, but also understanding that, that, that there's a limitation to that. And we're the first folks who are very comfortable, you know, sharing with an audience member or, you know, reflecting back to them you know, when we've hit a certain line. And there have been a couple times that, you know, in character we've, you know, in a completely non-patronizing, non-condescending way, being able to say, you know, finding someone professional to talk to is not a bad idea. And we've had folks who've actually chosen to go and do that because in no way do we view ourselves 
um, in uh, as in therapists, a, as therapists or, or yeah. counselors. <clears throat> yeah. We view ourselves as individuals who are making strong connections within the auspices of a created a created world where folks feel comfortable talking about you know inner family conflict and you know some past you know things that they're having a difficult time letting go of or you know career aspirations anytime you're you know, dealing with things like trauma or grief or um you know physical violence or you know any any themes there's a risk that it is going to trigger something for someone that you're maybe unintentionally you know pushing an envelope that you didn't even realize you were quite going to push. Yeah. So I think there is a, a an immense amount of responsibility that we have as creators to be very, very mindful of that. And I think we coach our team to also be really open about things that they are or aren't comfortable with, or if it's moving, if it feels like a character interaction is moving in a direction where that person's losing a little grip on the, the fictional narrative. Then we and, meet about it. And, and we, we have and called we people. Yeah. You know, as organizers, we have called audience members and said, "Is this becoming too much for yes. you?" Because if yeah. so, let's talk about that. Because there's certain I think things that's where you have to, you you know, hopefully the audience is giving us enough trust that we'll yeah. only do that if we really think it's a concern and that they'll engage in a dialogue with us. And if we feel like it's not going there, you know, I, I would hate to have to ask someone to leave an experience, but I, I, I we would, you yes. know, and and I think that we obviously find a way to do that in a really kind of respectful and and gentle way. But I. I, I think that's that's not that responsibility. I think is held by many many art artists and art forms. Unfortunately, most of them don't actually get the opportunity to intervene. You think about like a number of years ago, there were a lot of um, musicians and rap artists who were kind of getting blamed for you know telling kids to go do crazy things, or mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes kids did do, go do crazy things, yeah. and you know, but they didn't get a chance to even know that that was the impact they were having or intervene or have a dialogue about it until after something terrible happened. And so I'm not saying that that's at all like what we're, you know, um, I'm personally not that worried about that, mm-hmm. but I think that it, it being in the position we're in, we're sort of allowed to have a different kind of um, open and honest dialogue with our audience because well, yeah, I mean, be- because we spend so much time talking about our audience members yeah. and and talking certain, with them. That's like right. that's the thing. That's it's like right. it's it's. I mean, the the thing about it being interactive it is not it's not just oh you know you present some material to folks and then they interpret it on their own way. Right. Like this is a yeah. it's an active dialogue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we're yeah. saying you know trust us enough to hold our hands and then we're going to walk together into the shadows. We're going to walk together into the dark. But the thing is, is that on the other side of that dark is is light, you know? And But but everyone bears some responsibility. The audience also has responsibility yeah. to, you know, um, choose things that they think they they can be comfortable with and to hopefully make it as as much of an informed choice as they can. You don't well, always know what the, you're and, getting yourself into well, when you that, go to yeah, the and that's, show. Right? And that's and that's well and with the with the with the nature of the work that's coming up, and this is not this isn't just something with you guys, but it's like with with any any time a show, particularly that, that trades on okay, not knowing, like, like mm-hmm. having any spoilers about a show is going to like wreck the experience through. It's 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 funny because like you know something like Sleep No More has been around forever, but then she fell, and like all of us maintain a degree of I want you to see this for yourself. Yeah. But if someone really wanted to, they can go and get a full breakdown and know exactly what they're, what walking, they're walking into. into. Yeah. The the state of the work here in Southern California tends to be that 
you know, this stuff is going up, it's got a limited run, and then by the time anyone, and sometimes it's usually and it's sold. it's shrouded in mystery. Shrouded in mystery. You don't know where sold, you're going. Yeah, <laughs> shrouded in mystery and sold out before anyone has a chance to see anything. And so you, you get this, you, you start to see the possibility of people buying things sight unseen, uh, jumping into stuff, and being like, oh, well, I, that's not what I thought it was going to be. It's like, well, why'd you, why'd you buy the tickets? So it was like, well, everyone was buying the tickets. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so like, like balancing, that's a, that's a crisis. I think well, we're all going to face. You asked about lessons learned and that may be one for us. You know, we started the Jake season truly enshrouded in mystery. And I think it, it had a few kind of fits and starts mm-hmm. um, because of that very sort of anonymous sort of position we took. Um, it was helpful as we got going, but it also had some drawbacks. And I think one of the things we've learned is it didn't allow us to get to know our audience better Mm. before the experiences, the actual experiences started. So one of the things we've talked about for the next season is doing a little bit more sort of pre-show deepening relationships, engaging people online and through you know, um, written and yeah. phone calls. So we have like a that. sense Just of what so we get a little is. better yeah. clarity of, of who they are, what they'll respond to, what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with. And that also allows them to get to know us a little bit too before they're asked to buy a ticket, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's a little bit of... Well, that can be a lot of... I mean, that can be a lot of work. I mean, mm-hmm. they, there's so much... So much of the ARX side of what you guys were doing really just took up a lot of <laughs> just time. Yeah. Like... like how balance and whether you're balancing with a day job or not, like how do you? How do <laughs> there's you, no balance. There's, there's no balance. balance <laughs> but like, but how do you, I mean? How do you make that revenue neutral? Yeah. So we, for the past, I guess about six months. About six months, we've been working on a model for the second season, and we'll be rolling rolling this out for so the second season. We're referring to it as the Jasper season. We're hoping for a, a June, July launch. We've told people summer, um, but June, July launch. And what we're looking at is we're looking at some pricing tiers for the what we call the ongoing immersion or the ARX side of it. And what we really want to do is we want to provide audience members options because another big lesson learned for us is we have folks who want to fully immerse and they want as much contact with us as possible. Mm-hmm. And and some people don't have time for that. That's right. And some people want to, you know, have access to show tickets and maybe want to be filled in a bit on narrative beats and understand what the narrative arc is, but they want to come to the shows. And so for us, we really want to be able to provide options and we want to be able to help folks get to the right level of engagement for them. Well, there are also people who maybe want to just sit back and observe for a while yep. without spending any money. Yep. And so, I think we yep. talked about having a tier for that too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking at is sort of probably a three-tier system and it's it's far more than just like the simplicity of phone calls and people get people really point to telephone contact because we've heard from many audience members oh my god my day is suddenly brightened when I get a three minute or five minute or 15 minute phone call and that warms our heart and that warms the heart of our cast but you know for folks that we're having regular not just telephone contact with but electronic contact and perhaps we're planning you know individual pop-up experiences for them or one night ticketed events or et cetera, et cetera. you know we've got to be able to sort of fund our team and fund all the infrastructure 
that goes into that. So we're not looking at some exorbitant, you know, high cost, but sort of an idea of, you know, kind of buying into how much contact do you want with us between shows. And so yeah. going from very high, a lot of contact, all the way to you just want to be part of our Nocturnal Fandango audience family, but really your biggest interest is to, to come to the fully realized well, production. Well, that also serves two purposes. I think one, it, it helps us keep our ticketing costs as low as we can, which is not as low as we'd like it to be, but it's hard to make a small audience space kind of help fund the cost of venues and insurance and paid actors and all of those things. But also we are really committed to making sure our actors that are giving their time are paid a living wage. And so last season we didn't, um, we weren't able to pay people for their time making phone calls. And um, this season we really, this next season we really want to commit to being able to do that in a more um, kind of proactive way. Yeah. And the tiers will allow us to do that because it'll match up roughly with some of the out of show kind of contact level right. that our actors are giving. And we're looking at some new ways to engage for the Jasper season as well. Um, it's funny, Noah, that you kind of brought up this idea of, I, I almost call it rites of passage, mm -hmm. because in a lot of ways, the Jasper season, without giving away too much, is really about rites of passage. That's that's what this sort of six month, five to six month experience is going to be about. And um, we just, we have some interesting things planned that are a little different. Um, uh, we're going to have very much a show base that's centered in Southern California, but there's also going to be some opportunities um, that are complementary to the narrative, that are outside of, of Southern California and outside of the state altogether yeah. for some production opportunities, some experience opportunities. So, you know, that'll be another sort of level of kind of option for our audience that we have folks that are just going to want to do everything in Southern California. They will still get the full experience in Jasper in Southern California, but throughout the month's experience, there'll also be some travel opportunities. And that kind of, it plays very directly into the actual narrative, the, the narrative and, and what the story's about. Mm. So we're excited. There's, there's an aspect of this stuff that's starting to become kind of, you know, I mean, Punch Drunk went and, you know, had Punch Drunk travel for a while. So mm -hmm. there's there's a there's a natural tendency there. Although at a certain point it becomes, this stuff can get pricey, you know, yeah. and like, and there's a lot of people, there's, there's, um, there's sort of a core group of fans in in the, the Southland who who kind of jump on every ticket when it comes up, and I can I can see it starting to just be like, uh, you know, hopefully they have really great jobs. Uh, yeah, and, and it can gets expensive. Of, yeah. yeah, and I if, worry if, if about you're, that. if you're catching out, trying to keep yeah. up with like more than one show. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, I, and I worry about that too, Noah, because I, honestly, like I think we were you know um, very sensitive to. It access you know accessibility yeah. um and making sure that you know not everyone in our audience has great jobs that are you know paying them enough money to be able to travel around the country well so and I our think core audience is made out, up from 19 year old college kids yeah. on a very limited budget to very fortunate folks in their 50s with with you know Resources. Very successful yeah. careers and, yeah. and and a lot of resources. There's, so. there's 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 a needle threading aspect, you know, to, to to all this. But it's also it's the price elasticity is something that everyone's having to to figure yeah. out right now. Yeah. And 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 I, I, are you worried about pushback? Because you know, aside from the the ticketed events, like last season, you 
you gave the cow away for free, you know, not just the milk, but the whole cow. Well, you were, right? you were at the um, talk back a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I, I think one of the things we, we spoke to there is just this idea that, you know, we, and we've gotten this question a lot is how, how big is your audience going to be next season? Yeah. And um, we've been very, um, very quick to, well, very quick to say, you know, we, we intend to keep the numbers small yep. because we want to make sure the same quality of experience can be had. Um, you know, the expectation is we want to increase the numbers a little bit, um, give more people an opportunity to participate. But I think that um, for now, we haven't quite figured out how to scale what we do and we're mm. not willing to compromise the art or the experience or the fun of doing it. Because no. honestly, this is hard work and I have to enjoy it. And if I don't if the numbers aren't small enough that I can really get to know people and be part of, you know, creating it as a personalized thing for them, I don't know that I want to do it. And other people may, and there's a group of folks who I think are going to be really good at creating more mass market types of experiences that just isn't Well, and I think that also ties back to Noah's very good question of where our responsibility lies. And, you know, if we're dealing with sort of the numbers we look at, we're able to track folks enough to know, you know, have a pretty good idea of what certain triggers are and things that we don't touch and, you know, where that person is at in the experience. If we're at 200, 300 people, we're not able to exercise the level of due diligence and and responsibility that we have to, given the nature of the work that we do. And so by that, we, we have to limit to some extent, you know? The scaling thing is... I mean, at a certain point, it becomes impossible to to know everyone well enough, particularly if you're going to be playing with kind of, you know, triggering material, yeah. Yeah. right? Like in, in a real way. And, and there's a way in which the work you guys are doing, um, and LARP is never a pejorative for me, but the work you guys are doing uh, is, is more akin to a, a LARP troupe in that you're, you know, specking out things for each player yeah. as you go yeah. and really trying to understand trying to understand them as best as you can mm-hmm. and you know no 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 system of that is going to end up being like completely perfect but it's definitely I mean I just go back to like I go back to the first therapy in dreams and I go back to the the questionnaire and the, and the questionnaire became a very you know kind of like a, a popular tool maybe even like overused tool at a certain point mm-hmm. um, and your use of the questionnaire was the only really good use of the questionnaire I've seen in like the past year. Yeah. Uh, because and, it, and that's an example of right person in the right role because right. Angie, you know, that yeah. that work product was Angie's and yeah. that's Angie's professional background and that's the hours and hours and hours spent. You designing know, designing scene. that scene for each but audience member. But you couldn't member. do that if that was you know, and, 200 people. You know, and Angie, yeah, no, of course, and, Angie was an unpaid organizer. Yeah. You know, so there, you know, we we couldn't have hired someone, A, with Angie's particular skill set, or B, who would, you know, we would have been able to compensate enough to prepare for that scene. So, Looking forward, um, let's, let's talk, what can you tell us about uh, the Jasper season? Ooh. So, rites of passage, I think we really want to speak to a lot of universal experiences that, that we have in our lives um, through sort of the lens of my continued interest in magical realism and sort of the fantastical. Um, Jasper is an exceptional young man that I think everyone is going to be um, intrigued by. 
and uh, I think we're we as a community uh, there there's a, a narrative that's going to be told that um, this is the the world's vaguest answer and mm. I'm so sorry <laughs> it's okay um, shrouded in mystery it's yeah. shrouded in mystery yeah, as, as sunshine as, yeah. um, there's a number of of experiences and adventures that Jasper is going to undergo that he needs some company. Mm. He needs some company. To sort of see the world. To see the world. Okay. That's Maybe actually, through yeah. their lens. Yeah. Yeah. And and, yeah. and along and along the way I think there are really some some rites of passage and some experiences, joyful, painful, um, terrifying, enlightening, um, that are along that path. Um, and it's it's a very different story from the story that we told about Jake. Um, We're trying to bring some more writerly content into it too. Mm-hmm. Jason's you know poetry last season was really well received, and so we've been trying to kind of think about other ways to mm-hmm. weave that into mm-hmm. um, the narrative and, and and some other things too mm-hmm. that I think um, we're leaning heavily on Jason to be. Oh, thanks. Writing a lot, <laughs> but ja- Jasper's very much a love story. It's a love story, and I, you know, I think this idea of um, telling a love story in long format, but it's a, it's a love story that is not um, isolating to the audience members. Um, this is not a they're, you know, I'll be very forthright that they're not in love with Jasper. It's not each person right. is going to go through there. You will hopefully join us as Noah. Every audience member will join us, you know, in whatever version of themselves they want to bring forward. Um, yeah, there's it's so an adventure. Yeah. It's an adventure and a journey. Well, and and it's it's funny. I'm think, trying, thinking back to like some conversation I had somewhere. Like this idea of one of the structures that hasn't been explored too much is the idea of you know uh, in a, in an immersive scenario. I think I was talking about in terms of VR of like mm. people being like like oh if you were doing like a VR thing with superheroes, what about being the sidekick? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like you're 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 not the protagonist, but you are. You're a supporting character in the protagonist role, yep. particularly if you're doing something that's epic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it becomes a little bit a little bit easier to frame. Yep. You know, and becomes and often the sidekick or you know the everyman character is used to let the audience relate and so yep. like, oh, just stick you in the Jimmy Olsen role. Yep. You know, yep. there you go, you're Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of this idea that um, there's a few things far afield that Jasper needs to see for some particular reasons, which that kind of speaks to some of the travel opportunities, mm-hmm. while also respecting that for folks who can't or won't travel, there will still be a very clear and pretty exciting Southern California path that is, you know, separate and aside from any of the travel opportunities. Yeah. Seems like those become DLC. I did a show a while back, and, and, and we haven't really Ow. talked about this. Ooh. Oh, are you that okay? Was, wow. Yeah, I, that was my tendons or something like that? <laughs> Noah is popping. There was a popping noise coming out of Noah, but I did Ooh, not I do think it. it the mic probably picked that up. It did pick it up. Like that was that was impressive. That's not my fault. Are I right? did not do any intense you need a massage. Touch. What's going on? No, it's it's. I think it's. I'm very curious because uh, there's no crazy pain. Huh. I I don't. Okay. I don't know. You're that, old. It could have been. Oh god. Okay. Yeah, but like you're not supposed to make that noise. No, like no, no, no one makes that That's noise. A, that was pretty severe. Yeah. Really Great. I, I was well, just, you know, I was just gonna say like there was a show, and it, I don't even know that I've talked to Jason much about this, but there was a show. It was something he was saying about the Jasper season was making me think of this or remember this. There was a show I went through that I, I won't sort of name names, but 
I ended up, I think there was a little mistake made and I ended up kind of becoming a little bit of a sidekick to another audience member as mm. they were going through their experience. Uh-huh. And it was a little bit of a, um, I think it maybe wasn't a mistake. If it wasn't, it was brilliant, but it ended up being this very fun adventure because we were sort of trying to navigate a pretty weird set of circumstances together um, that ended up making it feel like we were kind of accomplices mm. in moving through an immersive show. And, and there was something that, as you were describing it, I was remembering that and I was thinking, oh, there is something neat about that kind of sidekick idea or that you feel like you're kind of joined and maybe there's a way that we you know, will end up being able to have them mm-hmm. feel that kind of affinity for a character in yeah. a narrative rather than, you know, the forlorn Jake that they're trying yeah, to yeah, save yeah. or well, and know, I, figure and out I th- what happened to. And I think what that brings up for me too is when we think about our toolbox or our palette or whatever silly analogy I can come up with to describe it, um, you know, from the beginning of Jake, we've talked about the fact that we would love to see more comedy in immersive theater mm-hmm. and oh God, yeah. definitely <laughs> going to be and 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 don't be mistaken we're certainly not backing off of our from our emotional intensity and and that's that's definitely our you know that's our sweet spot but i think it's just as important for our audience members to laugh with us yeah. as it is for them to cry with us and so there there's definitely that, that, that's definitely an important component to the upcoming season because I, for me, I'm always about juxtaposing. I'm always about the contrast and the contrast of the extremes and can we laugh as, as hard as we cry. And, and so that's, that's another piece of it. I think Jasper's pretty funny. He's a funny guy. <laughs> you look at me as if I know. I'm, I've told me very little. But I'm, I keep imagining. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll all get a chance to meet Jasper uh, maybe before the year is through. All right. Well, Kevin, Jason, thanks for uh, thanks for dropping by the the table. So, thanks, Noah. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Kevin and Jason for sitting down to do that interview before everything went to um, Helen Hambasket. Um. This season of uh, Sudden Loneliness, well, for of Nocturnal Fandango's work, Sudden Loneliness Gift, um, it's it's it is not a simple meal. Uh, it is it is not a um, easy in easy out. Um, emotional intensity is something that uh, they aim for, and there is a complexity in the the layering of reality, the, the liminal space that they're looking to create. Um, that being said, I am very much looking forward. I'm very curious. Um, I am anticipating therapy and dreams. Um, last year, last season, I didn't do a lot of the, the ARX stuff. I didn't do the, the, the overarching things. Um, and I got so much out of the main stage shows. And indeed I I'm sad that I didn't see the, the center centerpiece, but of course, um, as, as most people know, um, that was, that was a very, uh, difficult week and that a friend had passed and, um, which is deeply ironic given the, the nature of that show. Uh, so it was just like not the time for me to, to be diving into materials. Um, so it's nice to get back and, and, uh, 
connect with the work that they do, which is a, you know, it's, it's a high wire act. Um, the, the whole thing about, you know, customizing things to individuals takes a lot of trust, uh, takes a lot of trust, takes a lot of courage on, on everyone's, um, on, on all sides of it. Uh, and it is some deep experimental, deep experimental stuff, um, emotionally experimental work. Um, I could go on at length and length at length and length about it. Um, but here's what I'm going to do instead. One, I'm going to tell you, uh, that if you want to connect with them, there's two simplest ways to connect. Uh, one is to hit up, uh, suddenlonelinessgift.com. On the other, to get a real, a real taste, a real flavor of, of what this is all about, I'd recommend checking out their Instagram, which is Sudden Loneliness. That will give you a sense of, of sort of the emotional tone that's up with the piece. Um, and it's definitely, I mean, it is, like I said, you know, it's, it's emotionally complex stuff. It's rigorous. Um, it was a little easier, I think, for me to be doing that kind of exploration last year than this year um, for the meta reasons of, uh, of the world. Um, but there's there's value in the territory that they're exploring. And um, yeah, I will I will I will put that there for now. We will inevitably revisit that, uh, after therapy and dreams, uh, look for a, a, a rather large critical discourse about the state of the season so far, uh, after that show, if not a few notes beforehand, I've been trying to write some stuff up and, um, frankly, I haven't been able to, haven't been able to do it. So there, um, yeah, I think, I think that covers what I need to cover on, on TSLG. Let's talk about something else I experienced this week. Um, let's talk about that technodelic. Let's talk about sound self. So um, now, maybe I shouldn't be talking about sound self. Maybe I shouldn't, but I kind of got to talk to you about sound self um, because this was done as part of a uh, a, a jury selection th- thing for uh, Indicade. Uh, and I cannot speak one way or another about whether or not SoundSelf will be at IndieCade this year. Um, what I can tell you um, and, and disclose is that this is not the first time I've seen SoundSelf. It has gone through multiple revisions over the years. I first um, I first encountered this um, experience in its proto form back in Austin years ago when I was uh, doing a story for NPR about indie game, the indie game scene in Austin as it uh, sort of related to South by Southwest. And at that time, uh, Robin Arnault, who is the uh, creator of SoundSelf, I had met him at IndieCade beforehand. Uh, He had done another sound-based game. And as an audio nerd, I was like, this is awesome. Um, and he said, I'm working on a, a meditation tool, a meditation experience based visualization feedback loop thing. Come see it. And I was like, that sounds up my alley and totally strange. And the first time I saw it, it was um, set up in a tool shed uh, that had been turned in sort of into a, a, a cuddle puddle 
uh, a pillow fest with a projector and a microphone hanging from the ceiling and we were oming into it and changing the visualizations. And the second time I saw it, it was a GDC and it had been put into virtual reality. I maintained a lot of, of the, the, the same aesthetic. What I experienced um, this week is a definite evolution of that. And it, it, I got, it, 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 oh, Noah, oh, Noah. So VR's device got me stoned, um, is what I'm trying to say. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't on anything other than this like amazing white tea seven year aged that Robin did as part of a, a ceremony set up for it. Uh, but I, I, I went in and there were some, there were some hardware glitches, uh, cause one of, one of his headsets was messed up, but that didn't matter. I pushed through the experience and, um, when I came out of it at first I was like, Whoa. And I wasn't sure. I was like, is this just like, is this just Oculus drift? Is this just like that thing that happens sometimes? But it wasn't motion sickness. It was something else. And a part of it was like the whole process Robin led us through. I mean, this was like using virtual reality as a tool in the toolbox, uh, in the center of, uh, of a whole kind of ritual to get you grounded into breath work. Um, and to keep your meditative breath work action going, extending that experience out through technology, um, just utterly fascinating intellectually. And then as the actual experience, whoa, man, whoa. So I go from there, <laughs> I go from there to the press preview for drinking, smoking and West Coast. And as Jacob Patterson noted, like there's, some nights it's 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 weed night there. Now I don't partake. It's it's been so. How do you know what stone is like? So because like you know, hi, I was in my twenties once. Um, my primary drugs are Batman comics and Star Wars movies, and everybody knows it. And I get hot off those. Okay, so like, I mean, like, I'm I'm not straight edge, but like that's only. Batman be very disappointed in me for not being straight edge anymore. Um, but I go there and like Patterson is like, you're like more Zen than anyone here right now. And they're like, Oh, do you want anything? You know, like there's stuff in the back. I'm like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have been driving, uh, after, after sound self. Um, if you're going to be at burning man, Robin is going to be there. Um, I do not know what his playa name is. Uh, hunt him down. Find the tent that he's doing at. He's also going to be at a, um, there's a, there's an eclipse fest up in Oregon that starts this weekend. So if you're going to be there, hunt it down. You're, it's going to take you probably about 20 minutes or so, maybe longer. Um, but it's kind of like an ashram. Um, it just, it's a, it was it was something else and I'd love to do it again. And I'd love to explore the, the edges of, um, of, of that world. Um, I was talking with a friend last night 
friend who I was talking with when the sudden loneliness gift uh, called me. I'm assuming it's them. It's a no caller ID. I'm not. I'm not really playing any of the others uh, to any degree. Uh, and she was. Uh, she brought up you know uh, Alexander technique and breath work, and so we, we we got into that conversation and started making me think like, oh, I wonder if Robin's explored that. So I got to talk to Robin about it. But um, yeah, man, like <laughs> there's like there's this universe out there. I'm such a hippie. There's this universe out there beyond um, the normal things we do. And uh, even even in a world of metafiction and liminal spaces and uh, moments that seem to be eternal, which are just fictional constructs uh, presented by uh, very, very talented actors, um, there's things beyond that. Is it all a projection of our neuroses and fears and the archetypal forces that are running around in the chthonic darkness of our souls? Or is it somehow an emanation from a a sentient universe that uh, all wants us to uh, love each other? Does it matter? Does it matter if there's an answer? What's your experience? Are you experienced? Are you, are you helping bring about some joy into the world? As much of a mystic as I can be, I'm also an existentialist. Thank you, senior year English teacher. Um, <laughs> I remember her first name, but not her last name, and that made me feel bad, so I didn't say her name. Um, I'm going to remember it as soon as I get off the show. So I'm not going to worry about it. Um, it's about, it's about, uh, how we treat each other. It's about, um, it's about the world we make for each other and whether that world is one that helps people realize the best of who they are. Um, there's this concept, uh, Arite, uh, which means excellence. And, uh, you know, uh, in, in ancient Greek Olympiad, it was about, um, it's about, you know, physical, you know, perfection. Um, but there's also a spiritual dimension to arite, uh, this idea of being the, the best you can be being the most you, you can be. And there's a principle of justice at the heart of my own personal practices I hope that uh, seeks for people to um, be the best that they can be, um, fulfill their greatest potential artistically, emotionally, spiritually, if, if you accept the spiritual frame. Don't want to force that on anyone who doesn't want it. Sometimes I don't want it. And, um, and socially. Uh, and there's a moral dimension to the work that we do. And we are living in some really trying times right now. Um, this is the battle that we've been given to ourselves. Uh, we don't exist in a bubble. Um, the work we make, um, and it's very, very presumptuous of me to say we, since I haven't produced a show, I just make this thing and I do some infrastructure stuff behind the scenes. But I like to think that the work that we make is in service of a 
more just, more loving, more inclusive, more forgiving, peaceful, resilient world. So yeah, um, maybe, maybe sticking a VR headset on my face, uh, in a USC lab and oming into it, um, led to some sort of low key, not, not paradigm shift, but, a, a a reactivation of a part of me that had kind of been, uh, fading out a little bit. So thank you, Robin, very much for that. Um, like I said, you know, you probably are inclined to such things if you're going to Burning Man. Uh, so hunt him down. Uh, if you're going to be at that Oregon Eclipse Festival. And then um, whether or not it'll make an appearance in Decade, I can't tell you. I can't tell you because I don't know. Um, not because I'm hiding something. There are times when I hide things from you. It's true. Um, always done in the spirit of not spoiling the surprise or the story. Because giving someone a joyful surprise is also part of that gifting. All right. Um, that's enough for me this time. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you understood, um, all that has been laid before you, you make this possible. You really do. And I don't mean that just in the, this is the part we hits everybody up for money. No, I'm going to forego that this time. I'll let you know what to do. Um, I mean that in when I go out there in the world and I hear, that people are listening and they're reading and they're talking and they're looking for more ways to make work. That's what gets me up in the morning because I'm not a morning person at all. (laughs) All right. Um, I better stop before I get really cheesy here. Let's do the credits. The eternal supporting backer of this show is Ross Sigworth of the Rathskeller Club, the most excellent Rathskeller Club in San Francisco. The music for this show, and you've heard a lot of it this time, cleans and flashbacks, catch my drift, is Chris Porter of, is, the music is Chris Porter? Wow. Jeez, Chris, I just made you into music. Is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find us at noprescinium.com. That's where you can sign up for the newsletters. That's where you can find old episodes of the podcast. That's where you can read all the news and the stuff. You can always come hang out with us at Everything Immersive, which is our Facebook group. Um, not just ours, but also Ricky Briganti's of Inside the Magics and Haley Cooper of Immersology and Mike Montaigne of My Haunt Life and David Spira of Room Escape Artist, all of whom is the moderating team over there. Um, see, we're just a great, big, giant, crazy community. <laughs> that sounded pathetic when I said it like that. No, really, guys. No, we're like, we're so many people. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, though, like it keeps growing, and I'm like, you know, I'm a self depreciate. Look, look, the housemate's gone. I spend a lot of time by myself these days. I feel like this is the only conversation I'm gonna have for about eight hours. So, forgive me, and then come talk to me on Twitter 
at Noah J. Nelson uh, if you want Star Wars and Batman memes. Um, <laughs> all right. Shutting up now. Uh, next week on the show, Kevin Williams, who is the uh, creator, founder of the Future of Immersive Leisure Conference in Las Vegas, will be our guest. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure you will, too. Until then, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>